Hope, it is good to see you. Have all of you got an outline, which is a little piece of paper, which you has got my points on as you come in. Has anybody not got an outline? Not got one? You all got one? Oh, no. Judy down down here? Judy, I think there's maybe a couple down here. Oh, thanks, Judy. All you guys good? One over here. Calvin up the front. That's good. It is good to see you. Before I get started this morning, I just want to mention something, which is a pastor is bothering me. For many years, the enemy has attacked through unbelievers and through the things he's done in the world. What I'm more concerned about now is that he's starting to infiltrate the broader body of Christ with something called progressive Christianity. It's actually regressive Christianity. If you'd like to learn more about that so you can be forearmed and forewarned, just on your communication card, just write me. Or, or just on that on the communication card, make sure your email address is correct. And I'll send you a very short but punchy article which will give you the facts around it. Any church that departs from the gospel of Jesus Christ as defined by the atoning work of his son Jesus Christ on the cross and tries to fudge on that or go light on that is selling or trying to sell a whole different bill of goods. It is another gospel and it is very deceptive. Because it doesn't talk about sin. It doesn't talk about, therefore, the penalty that must be paid and how that transaction on the cross happened. So if you'd like to learn a little bit more about that, and it is a serious threat around the world, especially in our country, America, Australia, England, and Europe. So today, on the, based on that, I would like to encourage you to pull out your Bible, and I want to think about that song that we talked about, When Christ comes back. You know the next thing on Christ's agenda? He's coming back. That is the truth. And we get a little laissez-faire, especially those of us who have been around a little while in Christianity. And we think, oh yeah, I've heard that before. But today I want to take a fresh look at that. And I want to ask you a question. Will you have remained faithful when he comes back? Because everything around you in this world is trying to dissuade you or prevent you from being faithful until he comes. The enemy's kingdom and his desire is to push back on that. And that's why I want to look today about being faithful in a faithless world. First scripture, and if you've got your Bibles, Luke 18, if you haven't, it's on the screen. And Jesus is asking a question at the end of the parable that Josh alluded to today. And he says this, when I, the son of man, this is Jesus coming back, as he promised, uh, when I return, how many will I find on earth who have faith? Why does he ask that question? I'll tell you why. If you read the scriptures, it says, in the end times, the love of many will grow cold. That means, and that can happen, by the way, in a marriage. Your love can grow cold. The fervor that you once had for that beautiful bride or groom can dissipate. Other things can take priority over your first love. So he asked the question, when I return, how many will I find on earth who actually have faith? And how many have fallen away like the seed? 
So today I want to look at why it's important to, look at, uh, to live by faith. And the Bible tells us right up front, right at the get-go, let's get into it, three things about the importance of living by faith, which is what Jesus is looking, uh, looking for when he comes back. The first one is here. God is looking, looking for faithful people. Are you faithful? Are you? Not your spouse. Are you faithful? God is looking for faithful people. Hebrews 11, 6. Without faith, it is impossible. Now, if the scriptures say it's impossible, it is a serious hard stop. It is a hard stop impossible to please God. Absolutely nothing for men and women can please God apart from in faith. So God is therefore actively looking we looked at what Jesus said. Let's go back into the Old Testament. 2 Chronicles 6, 9, 16, 9. For the eyes of the Lord search back and forth across the whole earth, looking for people whose hearts are perfect towards him, so that he can show his great power in helping them. So friends, remember, God is looking for faithful people. Do you want to be counted amongst those when he comes back? Second, Faithful people are hard to find. You may want to write that down. They are very hard to find. These are not a dime a dozen. There's a scarcity. Because remember, narrow is the way that leads to salvation. As broad is the way that leads to destruction. And few are those that find it. This is not a come all. This is few that find him. Faithful people are hard to find. People who trust God with all of their heart, all of their soul, all of their mind, and all of their strength. They're hard to find. Quite rare. Proverbs 20 verse 6 says, Everyone talks about how faithful he is. But it's difficult to find somebody who really is. So everybody's got kind of gives this impression. Impression management like, I'm faithful to God. Now, many folks talk the talk. They've got all the lingo down. But you want a sobering verse? You go back and read Matthew chapter 7. They have the lingo down. Lord, Lord, didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we do da-da-da-da-da-da in your name? They have the talk down. What does Jesus say to them? Depart from me. You evildoers, I never knew you. This is very sobering. It is confronting. It's almost like a palm heel in the face, that. Many folks talk the talk, do the deal, show up where they're supposed to show up. But they don't really trust God. Here's a question. Are they actively pursuing the actively pursuing the life and ministry and mission mission because remember God's on a mission therefore if God's on a mission I'm on a mission am I actively pursuing the mission that God has given me am I investing the talents which came from God almighty the opportunities which are gracefully gifted to me to use them for his kingdom are they investing time and effort and emotional energy into training their children and their grandchildren? Or is it, a, oh, well, when they get round to it? Is it a lower priority than soccer practice? 
Are they following God's purposes in handling their finances in a godly way? Are they following God's heart in terms of enjoying time with him? Or is it just kind of walk the talk? Or talking the talk and not really walking the walk? Psalm 53 verse 2 says this, God looks down from heaven at the children of man to see if a single one is wise. That means choosing the right way, which is God's way, and seeking God. That's wise. But all are proven faithless, and they've been corrupted, and not one of them always does right. Number three, faithfulness is a key to God's blessing. Being faithful isn't just a one-off event. It's a continual deal. Faithfulness is the key to God's blessing. A key. Actually, I want you to do a quick think. Every single church that John speaks to and God's speaking to through the book of Revelation says this. To him that overcomes and endures to the end. This is not a one-off deal. This is not a one-off deal. To him will I give keys of life. 1 John 5, every child of God, this is encouraging, every child of God, if you call Christ as your savior, this is you, every child of God can defeat the world. Remember this is a battle we're in, we forget that sometimes, because there's no guns. You go to Israel, you see guns on the street every day, in the supermarket you'll see them slung over teenage girls. They remember, they're in a war. So every child of God can defeat the world, and it is our faith that gives us this victory. Faith in what? Faith in Jesus Christ. Not faith in myself. No. This is how you win the battle against the world that's so permeated with false and anti-Christian teachings. And then it goes on. No one can defeat the world. No one. Big term. Without having faith in Jesus Christ as the Son of God, the exclusive Son of God. That's how you overcome the world. Not by your intelligence. Not by your money you're going to overcome this world. In fact, sometimes it'll lead you around the wrong direction. Not always, but can do. It's not going to be by your creativity or your superior engineering skill that you're going to get around this world but it's by your faith in Christ that you're going to be able to go against the flow, empowered by the Holy Spirit, to go against the bent of the culture doing its own thing. It's only His Spirit that can help you overcome the difficulties and the disappointments and the discouragement in this life. Because there's lots of that. That's why Jesus said, whilst you are on earth, you will have trouble. But this is the good news. That's the reality. But this is the good news. Be of good cheer. Good cheer. Be of good cheer. Some of you, that's a word from God for you today. Be of good cheer. You should write that down somewhere. Be of good cheer. That is God's will. Be of God's, of, of good cheer. I don't get myself too many G's in that. <laughs> that's how you overcome dis- distress and despair. You need to be good cheer. Because guess what? You're going to win. Because Christ won. And that's how it's through Jesus Christ that you endure to the end and you please the heart of God. And let me tell you, if there's anything I want in this world, there's nothing more important to me than pleasing God. 
That's what I want. And by the way, I have been severely challenged on that recently. Ian, are they words? Or do you really want to deepen that commitment? And I'm, I'm there. The Bible encourages that every child of God can defeat the world. Every one of us in this room. But it's our faith in Jesus Christ that gives us the victory. Not some pop psychology, not some current trend or political party solution that will never work. That's why Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. Proverbs 28, 20. A faithful man and woman will be richly blessed. Blessed. So as your pastor, I pray that God will strengthen your faithfulness to firstly him and secondly his mission whilst you have breath in this world because there will come a time where it's over. Either you die or he comes back and takes you. So today I want to focus briefly on six ways that you can remain faithful to God before he comes. Because remember, he said, when I come, how many will I find that have faith in this world? So six ways that you can remain faithful to God before he comes. The Bible tells us, firstly, that God uses little things, little things, to test my integrity. Little things. Faithfulness requires integrity. Faithful people live out their integrity in small, unseen, mostly unnoticed acts. And nobody notices, but God does. God does. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all of your might. Not as working for men, but as unto the Lord. So, if you're a Christian today, Christ lives within you. Colossians 1.27 so wherever you are, whatever you do, put your hand to the plow. Luke 16.10 Whoever is faithful, there's that word, faithful, in small matters. See, Jesus doesn't go straight to the dividing of the Red Sea. He says, in the small matters, will be faithful in large ones. Whoever is dishonest, shades it. Sort of like, you know what I'm saying? corrupts what they know they should do in small matters will also be dishonest in larger ones. Both in, actually four countries I have lived in. And all four countries have heard this ridiculous statement, often from politicians or sometimes from CEOs. And this is what it goes like. doesn't matter what I do in my private life. has nothing to do with me as a leader of this organization or this company, or this political party. Friends, can I tell you, Scripture flatly denies and stands against that ridiculous sentiment. It has everything to do with you as a leader. Because the man who lies to his wife, lies to his constituents. If he lies to his best friend, his wife, but he one day said, till death do us part, and cheats on her, will cheat on you too. Probably cheats on his taxes too. And many other things. 
See, your public persona and your public success as a person comes actually from your private integrity long term. Not only that, but notice the next verse. Jesus says this, Luke 16, 12. And if you, as a steward, as a steward, have not been faithful with that which belongs to someone else, who will give you what belongs to you? Now, before we've all read that parable many times, but before we judge that steward too quickly in Luke 16, let's examine our own lives. Because to, to judge somebody and apply a standard to them and not apply the same standard to us, that is what Christ calls hypocritical judgment. And by the way, you can judge. If only says, the Bible says don't judge, they're completely reading it out of context. What the Bible does say is don't judge hypocritically. That's accurate. That's a whole nother message, that one. So before we judge that steward too severely and too quickly, if we look at our own lives, how faithful have we been as stewards of what God has given us? See, we're also stewards of influence, time, material wealth, whatever it may be there. But one day, the Bible clearly in multiple places converged to say, one day, you and I will have to give an answer for the way we have acquired, the way we've done it, and the way we've done it, and also how we've used that. If one is faithful in his use, for example, of a small thing like money, then Jesus says we can be trusted with far greater things. True riches, he calls them. That's nothing. Then Jesus concludes his teaching, declaring that the one who is unfaithful with another's wealth, he's getting a real sharp contrast here, has no right to claim anything of his own. So the subtle truth in this parable is that everything, all things, actually belong to God. And we are just managers for a few short years, that's all we get. And then that'll be passed on to somebody else to manage or mismanage. Here's my suggestion to you. Whilst you're in charge, you do what the Lord wants you to do with that. Because we are merely caretakers. We are merely stewards for a few short years. And I guarantee you this, and you know that. I've, I've done many funerals, but I've never seen a, a hearse dragging a trailer after it. It's just the hearse and the coffin, and that's it. You'll take nothing with you. The second way before he comes to remain faithful, the second way before he comes, is God wants me to use my talents for him, and that'll test my unselfishness. He has given every single person in this room, every single one of you, talents. And they're all different. And that's beautiful. That's the way God designed his body. So what I'm saying there, friends, is faithful people don't just live for themselves. Faithless people do. Faithful people realize, on the other hand, that the talents that God has so graciously bestowed should be deployed and employed faithfully, Serving others. So what I'm saying is, that thing that you're really good at, it's not just exclusively for your benefit. Oh yes, God will use that to 
to often provide for your daily needs, but it's not just for your daily enjoy, uh, your exclusive enjoyment. See, people that are maturing realize that the talents that God has given them, whatever they may be, are both a trust and a test. They're entrusted to you and they test your unselfishness. That's what they are. The talents God has given you are both a test and a trust. And by the way, they're a temporary assignment. You only get to deploy these whilst you're on earth. Now, all of us have a choice either to, one, live for ourselves, or we can choose to live something far greater, i.e. the eternal kingdom of God. And I highly recommend either myself or the eternal kingdom of God, this is the thing which wise, mature, faithful people invest their time, energy, opportunities, and their lives as a living sacrifice committed to. Because again, we are ambassadors for Christ. We're not doing our own gig here. See, God made me and shaped me and you to serve him. And here's a question. A lot of people get confused at this point. They go, okay, Pastor Ian, I get that. How do I serve God? You serve God by serving other people. That's real simple, but it's very profound. You serve God by serving other people. When you are serving others, let me flip around the other way, you are serving God. 1 Peter 4.10. This directly, concisely gets to the issue. Each one of you listening to this here and online should use, okay, Whatever gift he has received. And everybody has at least one gift. So it says, each one of you should use whatever gift he's received to make a ton of money, retire and die. Yeah? Do you really think that's what it says? Because some, that's how some people live today. And they call themselves Christians. Each one of you should use whatever gift he has given, has been received... To serve others, there's a connection. Serve others faithfully, there's the other big key word today, administering God's grace in its various forms. This is why God gave you those gifts. So God gave you talents. And what he's doing on this point there is he's watching to see if you'll use them for anybody else but you and your family. Because life is a test. Life is a trust. And life is a temporary assignment. 1 Corinthians 4.2 Now it is required, oh, strong word, that those who have been given a trust must, another strong word, prove faithful. How many, when I return, will I find, have faith? A steward is expected to act in the interests of his master, not his own interests. Because when he comes, the steward's interests will be judged. Mine will be judged. Yours will be judged with what you have. And what you have, it's what you have, what he's put in your hand. So God is watching to see, will I use my time? Each of us has got 168 hours a week. That's exactly the same. You, me, Bill Gates, all the same. 168 hours a week. Do I use my time strategically? Do I use my money strategically? Do I use my influence? Big factor which is often underlooked. Do I use the opportunities that come across my desk 
for God's kingdom's interests? Or am I too busy just getting my job done? And that's where it stops, the end of my job description. Remember, whatever you do, work as unto the Lord. So if you do, if you do think strategically and deploy your talents strategically, God will count you faithful and he will reward you. So there are two great themes that go from Genesis all the way through to Revelation. And they both start with S. Number one is salvation. You can see the picture of salvation spelled out in Genesis in every single book all the way through to Revelation. And it all focuses around Christ, salvation. The second great theme is stewardship. Stewardship. First great theme, salvation. Second great theme, stewardship. Salvation is, have I trusted Christ for forgiveness? Because there is forgiveness in no other name. Not in Buddha, not in Hare Krishna, not in Confucius. What a ridiculous name for somebody who is supposed to be smart. Sorry, I just find that quite strange. Confusion. Too, too, too close in English language to confusion. But he, he's, there is no forgiveness in Confucius. There's no forgiveness in Buddhism. In fact, most Buddhists don't even believe in God. Salvation. Have I trusted Jesus Christ for forgiveness? There is salvation in no other name. Secondly, stewardship. What are you doing with what you've got? Oh, I don't have much. Well, that's okay. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter whether you're the widow who has one mite. Or you're a multi-gazillionaire. It doesn't matter. The principle is the same. What are you doing with what you've been given? And God is looking at both of these major themes in your life. Salvation and stewardship. Now the third test you will encounter. This is a guarantee, this one. You will encounter before Jesus Christ returns is this. God will use tough times to test your faithfulness. Tough times. Hard times. Difficult times. Disappointing times. Now the difference between faithful people on the one hand and unfaithful people on the other hand is unfaithful people give up at the first sign of inconvenience. Oh, I have something else planned. Or difficulty. That's hard. Or disappointment. You think about disappointment for a while. You just think for one moment about Jesus. He he started off with how many disciples? This is not a trick question. Twelve. How many of them were hanging out when he came to the cross? Last time I counted, one. John and the women. Interesting to me that the women, they stood there. Unfaithful people give up at the first sign of this is interfering with my... That's not how I envisage this. Faithful people are different. They keep on keeping on. Faithful people are determined and they're diligent and they're persistent. Faithful people don't know how to quit. In a sentence, faithful people keep on keeping on when others give up. 2 Corinthians 4. This is the reason. This is why we never give up. I like that. This is why. This is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying. In other words, anyone want to give a testimony on that? Things are going south in our bodies. Our spirits are being renewed every day. This is the life of Christ. This is Christ in you. Our present troubles. See, he, this guy isn't a, a pump-me-up type of guy all the time. 
in spite of the harsh realities of life. He says, for our present troubles, he acknowledges them. If you look in your life now, I guarantee you can find some trouble in your life. Guarantee it. But you can also find, if you look hard enough, some blessing. I used to think for many years that you'd have patches of smooth sailing, and then you'd have some rough water, that kind of thing. Now, I've learned that that's not how it goes in life. What happens is like two train tracks. There's good things happening in my life right now, and if I look hard enough, there are some jolly tough things going on in my life, and the same for you. That's how it is, and this is the balance. This is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying and our spirits are being renewed every day, for our present troubles are quite small and won't last very long. He had a godly perspective, but they will produce. What will produce? The troubles? Yep. The troubles will produce in us an immeasurably great glory that will last forever. So the troubles are finite. The infinite glory is to be looked to. So we don't look. We don't focus on. We don't get all upset and discombobulated because of our troubles that we can see right now. In other words, we're not focused just on the blooming problem. Rather, in other words, in contrast to just focusing on my issues, rather, what do I do? I look forward to what we have not seen yet, the reward for persevering. For the troubles we see, yeah, he's not denying them, but he's not focused on them. We will, for the troubles we see will soon be over, but the joys to come will last forever. So, Life for Christians in this fallen world before he comes, fact, is a mixture of joy, great, we all like that, and sorrow, blessing and suffering, triumph, we get some victories, and tragedy. Anybody that says different to that has got the Pollyanna syndrome. But faithful people persevere through all that in the midst of their pain and affliction. Paul was a great example of that, as was Jesus. They are strong in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. They're able to suffer hardship as good soldiers of Jesus Christ. Good soldiers of Jesus Christ. And that's what we are. Galatians 6. Don't get tired of doing what's right. Don't get tired. Why? You will you may want to circle it. You will be rewarded when the time is right. If you want to circle that one too, it's a conditional promise. If you, what's the, the last words? If you don't give up. If you don't give up. Now you need to memorize that verse because before Jesus comes, you absolutely will experience tough times that will test your perseverance. That will test your persistence. But faithful Christians draw from the strength of Tony Robbins, right? No. Of Jordan Peterson. Wrong. Faithful Christians draw on the inner strength of the Holy Spirit, even when they are weary. Because the Bible says even when they're weary, they can fly like eagles when they rely on their strength. If they keep doing good and trust God for the results. Fourthly, this is an interesting one. God will test or use shortages to test your generosity. He'll use shortages. Faithful people are generous when they don't even have it to give. 
Luke 21, 1 through 4, NIV version. As he looked up, Jesus saw the rich man, excuse me, the rich, putting in their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. Now, even with 2020 vision, you had to be pretty close to see that. And then he says this, I tell you the truth. He said, this poor widow has put in more than all of the others cumulatively. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, out of their abundance, out of their fat bank balances. But she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. See, anybody, anybody sitting here or listening online can be generous when times are flush. When we've had a good year, the stock market's done well. The business has done well when we have a surplus. And I can, that's in one area. How about the other area? How easy is it to be generous with my time when I've got time on my hands? When I've got lots of time. Time to burn. It's easy to be generous with my energy when I've got lots of extra energy to spend, right? Yeah, no problem, no problem. It's when I don't have enough time. It's when I don't have enough energy. My mum was a living testimony. It's when she didn't have enough money. My mum had not enough money to buy her own lipstick at a particular fair few years of her life. She was the most generous person I knew. That, God says, is a test. And I'm watching. Nobody else says God is there. To see if you'll be faithful. Will you trust me? Will you keep your priorities straight in a world that will try and pull you a different direction? So the poor widow gave what God had put in her hand and trusted God to take care of her needs. Now another great example of that particular thought would be the people in the church at Macedonia, which is in a, a place in Greece. And they, they've been singled out in the scriptures because they exemplify this. They have been tremendously generous in even amongst their shortages. And boy, it was short. On the screen, it says, though they have been going through severe troubles and very hard times. Woo! Severe troubles, remember this, feel this a second, severe troubles and very hard times. Even though that was the case, a fact, out of their extreme poverty flowed extreme generosity and overwhelming joy. So what that's saying is the people in Macedonia are hurting like crazy and they gave a particular offering to support the church in Jerusalem that was starving to death. Starving to death. And out of their poverty, God inspired incredible generosity. In this country, nobody starves to death. Nobody. If you feel God touches you, that you'd like to give to Christians who are starving. And let me tell you, when I look at these opportunities to invest around the world in mission fields, I vetted them upside down, round about, and back to front to make sure there's no thing. Because I'm always a great believer, even in my own kids. You don't get a cell phone until you can pay for it. You don't get a car until you can buy it, insure it, and fuel it. I'm not on the hook for this. Because you have two arms, a legs, and a great mind. Get to work. That's my attitude as dad. I had four kids, and all of them went through university with zero debt. 
because dad didn't hand them a dime, not one cent. So if I ever bring something to you, I'll have done the due diligence, trust me. <laughs> These people have got the ability, or haven't got the ability, to provide for themselves, and it's a crisis situation. If you'd like to ever know about that, or any opportunities to help people like that, specifically persecuted Christians, just write like a communication card, and I'll send you some information on that. So, it may be obvious here, but one of the key tests of my faith and your faith is in the area of finances. And Jesus said it like this. This is Jesus' words, not mine. Luke 16, 9, a little further on, through 14. I tell you, this is Jesus' instructions to you from his word. Use your worldly wealth to benefit others. And make friends for eternity. In this way, your generosity stores up a reward for you in heaven. But if you are unfaithful in your worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? You cannot serve both God and money. Now, let me be clear. That is not saying you can't have both. But both can't have you. Either God has you or money has you. You cannot have two number ones. Who is number one? Who is it? That's for you to talk to the Lord about. So godly ma money management, by the way, young people, is not just a good idea. It is God's will for your life. You need to learn to live within your income. Don't follow the crowd and the world and get into ridiculous amounts of debt. If you don't save, it's impossible for you to be generous. So get that habit really early. Second, uh, sorry, two other ways that we can be faithful to Jesus before he comes. And this is a good one. Faithful people bring friends to Jesus. Faithful people. Faithful people. Faithful people share their faith. That's not in an obnoxious way at all. But here's the deal. If I don't share my faith, I'm being unfaithful to it. Good example of this is some friends who have a friend who in this case was paralyzed. Couldn't do anything for himself. Matthew 9, 2. Some men brought to Jesus a paralytic friend lying on a mat. They brought the guy. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Take heart, son. Your sins are forgiven. Now, church, you have friends that are paralyzed, who won't get to Jesus by themselves. Every single person in this room has people like that. They may be paralyzed by guilt, some of them. Some by doubt, and they can't quite get to Jesus, or by fear, or by the cares of, these, uh, of this world, or by busyness, actually frenetic busyness. They may be paralyzed by insecurity, but whatever the reason, they can't get to Jesus. And the only way they're going to get to hear about Jesus is you as a conduit. You're going to have to bring him, just like these guys did. So they'll get the healed of their terminal condition without Christ. Now think about that. All the people that you talk to tomorrow that do not know Jesus have a terminal condition. Way worse than COVID. This is not irrecoverable for them. 
And as you do share that, you're not asked to convert them. You are asked at the appropriate, not in an awkward, like, horrible way at all, but when the Spirit of God, who is working in their lives, brings that up, you need to be bold and follow through with it. And ask them questions. A good one to start with is, what do you think happens after you die? There's two ways you can go with that. Nothing or some derivation of what they think, but it opens the question. One last principle. God asks us to be faithful to him before he comes. Important point. Especially those of you who have been on the road a while. By building the faith of others. That's being faithful. Not to do this is being unfaithful. Building faith of the others is called discipleship. And it's simply encouraging someone else in the faith who is younger than you in the faith. And that's the thing that God calls everybody who is a Christian to do. That's whether you're Simon or Harry or whoever you are. God calls you to invest in other people. This is how you're faithful. So when he comes back, whatever God's put in your hand, you're dealing faithfully with it. Everybody in their life needs a Paul. Somebody older than them who can encourage you and help you through the sticky wickets in life and to be there for you spiritually and praying for you. Everybody also needs a Timothy. 2 Timothy 2.2. The things that you've learned from me in the presence of many witnesses, you are to entrust to, here's that word again, faithful people who also will be qualified to pass it on to us. Who are you investing in? Now, there's actually four generations mentioned in that verse. As the baton passes from one generation to the next. So, here's how I think of this. It is really wise to learn from the experience of other people. And the mistakes... Some of the greatest lessons I've learned in a lot of my life are from the mistakes other people have learned and they've been prepared to share them with me so I don't fall down the same hole. See, because I don't have enough time to learn all the same mistakes and it's too expensive to learn all the same mistakes. I'd just rather learn from somebody else. So friends, the implication for you is do not waste your hurts. The things that you think were terrible, God can use those because he can use those to warn others and to encourage others and to help the next generation. Your hurts and your mistakes, share those. Sometimes we'll make the excuse, well, I messed this up so much, I could never help other people. Well, actually, that's not true. You don't have to be perfect to be a mentor to somebody else. It's insightful for me, for example, to think that Peter, God chose out of the twelve, Peter, the biggest foot-in-the-mouth guy you could ever see, and actually probably one of the largest failures next to Judas, to be the leader of the early church there in Jerusalem. The Peter, this is the guy who denied Jesus three times. Luke 22, 31. Jesus speaking. Peter, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. That means you're going to go through a severe trial. It's going to be a test. So remember Satan asked God's permission to test Job. Satan can't just go around willy-nilly doing creating mayhem everywhere. He, he's in a sandbox. In Windows 10 we have a thing called sandbox where he gets to play. He can't go outside those boundaries. He is not omnipotent. He is a created being and he is limited in his power and his dominion. 
So, Jesus says, but I have prayed for you that your faith will not completely fail. Notice Jesus prayed for faith, not the removal of the trial. Very insightful act. So that after you have repented and turned to me again, clearly Jesus knew that Peter would wobble, but he was confident he would return. Then what does he say? Here's the instructions. So after you've come through it, do two things. Strengthen and build up the faith of your brothers. Use that ridiculous denial three times and the, to build up the faith of your brothers. So Peter, 1 Peter, by the way, entirely deals with encouragement for believers who are undergoing trials and undergoing difficulties. So Peter became the strength to many who needed it. So who better to encourage those being tested in their faith than Peter? Because he'd surely been tested and flunked it. Struggling depression with those who've come through that experience victorious. Who better to offer encouragement to fight off addictions of alcoholism or drug addiction? Or let me just say it right straight, pornographic addiction. Than those who have overcome by the power of God's spirit. See, encouraging others in their faith can be both unstructured, which is just like having a cup of coffee with somebody every month or so, and just saying, how's it going in your spiritual walk and how can I help? Or it can be very structured. This is where you particularly study a particular topic that that person needs to help, help with. And you assign and then you review and you encourage and you pray. I have five mentors. I've just recently lost two. They've gone, they've relocated to heaven. Actually, Christians don't die, they just relocate. Now, my mentors don't just sit down with me and teach me lessons, although I have one who particularly loves doing that, and arm wrestling over theological issues and bending my head normally almost out of shape until I can arm wrestle back because he wants to test how strongly I believe those things and how I can substantiate those beliefs. That's one Carlos. Most of them I just call up and talk to. And they're all around the world. Some in New Zealand, some here. Friends, don't you wish, if you were in your 20s, that you had some older guy who was a Christian who said, well, I don't know a whole lot, but we can go for coffee once a month and we'll just talk and we'll pray for you. Or maybe you need to have some help in business. And you may say, well, I don't know a whole lot, but, you know, or maybe you need some help in your marriage or your, your family. I don't know a whole lot, but this is what I can do. I can tell you what not to do. Because, <laughs> boy, have I made a few blues. And I have a number of men in my life said, look, if I ever have my time again, don't do this with teenagers. And I go, okay, I'm listening. Tell me again, carefully. I'll write it down, internalize it, share it with my wife, and we'll put it in that kind of like operating system of a family. This is a very dangerous area to get in with teenagers. In other words, friends, don't waste your hurts. Use them to help the next generation, and God will use them. So my challenge for you on this point is in this next quarter, this next 90 days, the next 90 days, how long? In the next 90 days. Why not take some of your biggest failures, some of your biggest mistakes, and save somebody the pain of making them themselves? Let's pray. I'm going to pray for you 
And then I'd like you to follow after me, after I've prayed for you. Father, your word tells us that when your son Jesus Christ returns, you will be looking for faithful people. And I want these people in our church family to richly bless and delight your heart. Holy Spirit, help us to respond to the tests of faith in a way that we ought to respond that blesses you. Now maybe you want to pray in your heart or say in your mind something like this. Dear God, before you return, please use the little things in my life to grow my integrity, especially in the stuff that nobody else sees. Before you return, help me to be faithful in that which is my own so that you can give me my own. Father, before you return, would you use the talents that you've given me to grow my unselfishness and help me to realize that my giftedness, my opportunities, and my abilities are not just for my benefit, but to help serve others. Father, Many people here are going through tough times right now. And I pray that you'd use them to grow their persistence. Father, would you help them not give up, but to rely on the ever-present, powerful presence of your Spirit within our hearts and lives. Help us not to look at the problems in our lives, but to the reward in heaven for growing in character. And Lord, the stuff I lack, the areas I've got shortages in my life, would you help me to trust you in faith? I'm going to ask you to help me grow in generosity through my shortages, to be generous with my time, especially with my praise, Lord. Help me to be generous in affirming others. Help me to be generous with your money to build your kingdom. Help me to be generous with your love and share that around. Would you help me not to be generous with criticism, but to be generous with praise and gratitude? I want to be generous in every area. And I want to obey your word and rely on your provision and your incredible generosity to me, Lord. And Father, where there's a delay between the seed I plant and the harvest, help me to realize that you're still testing my faith. Before you return, Lord, would you help me faithfully tell my friends when you bring up that opportunity that you're working in their life on. When you bring people across my path, help me be faithful to tell them about your plan and your purpose for their lives. To get to my friends who are paralyzed even and don't have enough faith on their own to come to you. And Father, lastly, help me to build the faith of others before you return, to be counted as faithful. I am, Lord, a willing servant, and I ask you to help me to be the faithful person that blesses your heart. Today, if you're sitting in this room and, or you're listening online and you haven't invited Jesus Christ into your life, why not say to him right now, Jesus Christ, 
come into my life right now. Forgive me for my sin. I want to put my total faith and trust in you. Amen.